Well, good morning and welcome to Nakani Baptist Church, both to those of you who are in the building here and also to those who are joining us via live stream or maybe some listening uh, via CD and maybe possibly even some listening in the car park uh, via radio. So it's lovely to be back in the building here. Uh, certainly it's different to what we're used to. Um, the legroom is great, but if you could use that legroom, I don't know, you not want social distancing to stop, but it's good to be back here. Uh, Pastor David and Sarah and Anna Beth are off for a few days. Uh, but as David had said last week, um, we want to pass on our thanks to you for cooperating with our deacons and taking all of the precautions uh, that we can at the minute. Uh, and also we just want to reiterate to those of you who don't yet feel comfortable with joining together uh, with larger groups of people in the building here, we totally respect that. Um, and please don't feel pressurized to come back. We'd love to see you back, but don't feel pressurized uh, to be back. And hopefully you can still join us via a live stream. A few reminders and announcements at this stage. Um, Wednesday night is our midweek again. Pastor David is leading that at 8 o'clock and again uh, we'll be meeting here uh, in the building, socially distant. Uh, at the end of the service, um, just supposed to get used into this new format, at the end of the service, just to remind you, please stay in your seats. The deacons uh, will show you out row by row, so just wait for their signal uh, as we make our way out. And make your way to the door whenever they ask you, uh, and just out into the car park there. Try not to crisscross the aisle and go and talk to your friends. It's not that you want to be antisocial, but we just want to get people out uh, as quickly as possible and minimize the contact uh, with others. And make your way out into the car park and uh, please don't congregate on the steps or the exits. Just make your way into the car park and feel free to chat out there, uh, socially distant. Um, maybe hold off on the handshakes and hugs. I know you're very keen to show each other how much you've missed each other, uh, but we don't want to be the next hotspot for transmission, so maybe hold off on those. As David said last week, if you really need to use the toilets, they're available in the front, uh, the foyer there, uh, and in here, and the back of the church and the back of the hall, maybe go around and use the toilets at, at the back, please. It's great to see kids back with us this morning. There's no crash at the minute, for obvious reasons, but if you need to um, take a baby or a toddler out, there are two rooms at the side of the hall there that are set up to accommodate four adults, socially distanced. So again, as with the toilets, um, please use those and uh, the back door will be open if you need to go around uh, to use those. The free will offering box uh, has been removed and replaced with open baskets at the exit, so use those as, as God would lead you. Um, the increase in the transmission rates and uh, the number of cases this week reminds us that this virus hasn't went away, so every evening if you think we're being OTT about how we're doing things here, we're trying our best to keep everyone safe, so I would encourage you to, to work with us and thank you for doing that. And I think that's all the... COVID-19 related announcements out of the way. You'd be glad to know that. On a much later and happier note, as a church, we want to extend our congratulations to Danielle and Michael on their uh, recent engagement. So we wish you God's richest blessing on your future lives together. Uh, and also, can I just say, it's been great to have some of the lockdown babies out of church for the first time. I know Josiah is here uh, this morning and Madison Rose was here last week. Uh, so it's great to have uh, some of the lockdown babies out of church for the first time. You know, it's good to be together this morning. We're here to worship God. Each one of us has different needs, different circumstances. Each of our weeks has been different. Uh, but in these uncertain times, and indeed at any time, uh, where can we look to for certainty and security and comfort and, and peace in our hearts and peace in our minds? Only to Jesus. Only Jesus can meet our deepest needs and the longings of our heart. Don't be looking elsewhere. Don't be searching elsewhere. Look to Jesus. And the words of the song that we're going to watch in the video this morning is, an adoption or a remake of an older song is Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And you know, Paul 
as he exhorts the church in Ephesians 5, he says, Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. The COVID-19 restrictions prevent us singing out loud, so please don't break out into song. Uh, but they don't prevent us from making melody and making music to the Lord in our hearts. Uh, and I encourage you to do that even as you just watch uh, this video uh, just now and listen to the words uh, as we watch it. Thank you.
Lord, we thank you for your protection on us, even over uh, this time of this pandemic. Uh, Lord, thank you for your protection over our, our individual families and our church family. Um, thank you for being with those who have suffered from the pandemic, and we just pray that uh, they will continue to know your help, Lord, as they uh, recover. Lord, we pray for the situation in our wider world. We pray for the situation in Lebanon. So many people, Lord, who have lost loved ones and lost people that are dear to them, and hundreds, maybe even thousands of people injured. Lord, it's, we, we words fail us. And Lord, we just pray for those that situation. Pray for believers, Lord, who, uh, Lord, we realize you have believers all around the world, and we just pray, Lord, for believers who minister into that situation. And um, Lord, we just leave it in, in your hands. Lord, closer to home, we pray for those who uh, aren't here this morning and would love to be here. Pray for those who feel the need to still shelter um, because of the virus. Pray for them that they would know your presence with them, even in their own homes. Pray for those who are unwell and in various, in various ways, and some are recovering, and some have been in hospital, Lord, and we'll not name them publicly, but you know them, and we just pray that you'll know, that they will know you with them. Pray for those in the nursing homes, Lord. We pray for Willie Robert and, and for Bill and, and Maddie and Edie and Noreen as well, Lord, in the nursing home. Uh, pray for Vera and her own home, Lord, and we just pray that they would know uh, your presence and your help with them. Pray for Pastor David and Sarah and Anna Beth, Lord. Thank you for them. Just pray, Lord, even as it's been away over this week, Lord, that they would have had a time of refreshing and uh, you feel invigorated and reinvigorated and refreshed as he comes back to lead us here. And uh, we thank you for them as a family. Lord, we pray for ourselves as we meet together here, albeit uh, slightly different surroundings and things different maybe than normally, but pray, Lord, that our focus would be on Jesus, that we would encounter God this morning, that you would speak into our hearts, Lord. You know our needs, whether we need to be challenged or encouraged or rebuked, Lord. You know all of our needs, and Lord, we just pray that uh, you would glorify your name and glorify your Son as to how you speak and work through us and speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Our reading this morning, if you have your Bible with you or you follow it on your phone or tablet or whatever device you have, is in Matthew 22. For those who wear glasses, uh, I know the mask and, and glasses combination is a bit difficult, but I have found out um, if you put your glasses right to the end of your nose, I know it makes you look very intellectual looking, but your glasses don't steam up as much, but I'm sure you've worked all that out for yourself. But we're in Matthew chapter 22 uh, this morning and verse 34. Uh, just by way of a background and context, this to understand what's happening here, uh, Jesus was coming near the end of his earthly ministry where he'd been teaching the people and healing the sick, doing all sorts of miracles, authenticating that he was indeed uh, the Son of God. And Jesus knew exactly what was ahead of him as he willingly and, and purposefully made his way towards Jerusalem for one last time. And you can read about that in chapter 20 of Matthew. And he came into Jerusalem, the triumphant entry. You'll know the story in chapter 21. And as was his custom, he went to the temple to teach. And of course, the religious leaders were never far away when Jesus was teaching because his teaching cut across their man-made rules that exposed their hypocrisy. And they were concerned about the large number of people that were following Jesus. And so they sought to confront Jesus and discredit him at any opportunity at all. And there were several factions um, within these religious leaders. Two of them were the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
They didn't get on with each other at all. Uh, the Sadducees did tr tried to trap Jesus with a far-fetched hypothetical question about the resurrection. You can read it there earlier in the story. But even though these two groups didn't get on with each other, uh, such was their opposition to Jesus that they were willing to collaborate and come together and put their differences aside and oppose Jesus. And so we, we commence reading at verse 34 here. When the Pharisees heard that he, that is Jesus, silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is uh, the word of God. Maybe we'll stand and pray just before we come to look at God's word. Lord, we thank you that this uh, is your, as originally given, the very words of God that we have read here. And Lord, we just pray as we come to look at it, Lord, that uh, you will open our hearts and open our minds, Lord, to Listen to what you would say, Lord, not what I would say, but what you would say to each one of us. Lord, if there's anything that I say that is only of myself, Lord, just take it away. But Lord, whatever is of you, Lord, we just pray that you would apply it to hearts here. Uh, apply it to my heart, apply it to each of our hearts, each in the building here and those that are listening. And that honor and glory would be brought to your name as we learn from and study your word together. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I don't know if you've ever watched or listened to uh, a conversation or maybe a debate where one person just comprehensively and totally dismantles the other's argument. You know, and they're left stumbling to try to put the words together and they're, yeah, but no, but yeah, but, and, and you can't get the words out. They're so flummoxed uh, because someone has totally dismantled their argument. And that's the sort of, the kind of the scene that we witness here in Matthew 22, where Jesus, uh, where it says that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, obviously over this question about the resurrection. Uh, and the word for silenced in the original, uh, it, it literally means muzzled. So that's pretty ironic. I'm sitting looking at a, a sea of a masks here this morning, but that's beside the point. The word that's used here is muzzled. So the Sadducees basically were literally left not able to say anything. Their at attempt to trap Jesus was a total failure. But collectively, these religious leaders, they weren't going to give up easily. Uh, Jesus had been going around teaching about how people could enter the kingdom of God, how they could know acceptance with God uh, through him, no longer through the Old Testament sacrificial system. Uh, and what he was teaching was totally at odds with these religious leaders' law-keeping, how you could work your way to heaven uh, by rule-keeping. And so they collaborated and they sent one of their own, the Pharisees, who was an expert in the law to ask Jesus a question, uh, obviously to try and catch him out. And I should clarify what is meant by the law here. The law essentially was the commandments that were given by God to Moses on Mount Sinai as to how his covenant people uh, should live in relation to him and to relation to each other. It includes the Ten Commandments that are wrote uh, on the tablets of stone, that God wrote on the tablets of stone. Uh, and obedience to this law was uh, an obligation of God's Old Testament people, as they attempted to merit his favor and blessing. Israel were God's special people in covenant relationship with him. 
And whenever the law was transgressed, the covenant was broken, and so was the relationship with God. Of course, the religious leaders, they weren't content with just the laws that God had given. Um, they added multiple layers of confusion on top of it. Uh, they talked about positive laws and negative laws, heavy laws, ones that were absolutely binding, and light laws, a sort of a kind of discretionary kind of idea. And this opened the, up the way for debate and discussion about which of the laws were the greatest or the most important. And this expert in the law asked Jesus that very question in verse 36, if you still have your Bible open. It says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Uh, the word for great here means great as compared to other commandments, uh, which is why some of your versions may say, uh, which is the greatest commandment? So in other words, this Pharisee was saying, you know, how can I be sure of acceptance with God? What is the most important thing that I need to do? Luke's account of this story records the lawyer's question is, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? How can I know acceptance with God? How can I be sure of a home in heaven? And Jesus' answer in verse 37 was this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. Now this command would have been well known to this lawyer uh, because Jesus was quoting the first part of the Shema from uh, Deuteronomy 6. So Jesus in his answer was in one way sort of confirming the practices of every pious Jew. Every pious Jew would recite the entire Shema in the, every morning and evening. But Jesus was talking about much more than just reciting mere words as some sort of religious uh, ritual. He was saying that our love for God must be absolute, it must be wholehearted, and it involves all that we have and all that we are. And I just want to highlight a few points about what Jesus was teaching here this morning. I'm not going to be long, but these points are important uh, as they're just as applicable to us in the 21st century because the way to eternal life, the way to acceptance with God hasn't changed. I should say we haven't time to look at the second commandment Jesus gave here. I'll just be touching on that. So I don't want you thinking when our time is nearly up, you know, he's still this other commandment and he's never looked at it. We're going to be another half hour. So just in case you're worried, uh, I don't want you concentrating on that. I want you concentrating on what we're saying. So we're just looking essentially at the first uh, commandment Jesus gave here. And the first point I want to make is that this was a humanly impossible demand. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind is a humanly impossible demand. Commenting on this uh, command of Jesus, Charles Price uh, said this, and I don't know if it's up on the screen. Uh, he said this, it means that everything upon which our heart is set, everything with which our soul is preoccupied, and everything that interests and captivates our minds will express love for God. This command means that everything upon which our heart is set, everything with which our soul is preoccupied, and everything that interests and captivates our minds will express love for God. Let's be real here. This is not man's natural disposition. You know, whenever our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned, all of mankind's succeeding generations uh, were corrupted. Each succeeding generation sought to live to please themselves. And we don't just have to look at the me, 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 me culture that's all around us, and you can put in as many me's as you want there. 
We don't have to look at the culture around us to see that. We just look into our own lives and we see fallen humanity's inability to live up to God's perfect standard. In fact, that inability is so complete that the Bible calls us dead in sin. Pastor David has been sharing that with us on Sunday mornings from Ephesians about being in death folly, about being in darkness. Uh, St. Augustine, who was a renowned theologian of the 4th and 5th century, he summarized the Bible's teaching about man's uh, condition, natural condition, outside of a relationship with God like this. He said, we are not able not to sin. Not able not to sin. I know it's not great English. It's from the Latin originally, but it's very descriptive. It says, in our, our normal or natural position, we are not able not to sin. That doesn't mean that outside of a relationship with God, man isn't capable of some good deeds. But the reality is that even our best deeds can be tainted by selfish and impure motives. In other words, we sin of necessity due to our fallen nature. The Bible illustrates our inability to meet God's perfect standard by using several different words to explain how we break God's law. Words like sin, which is the idea of missing the mark, transgressions where we slip or fall it may not necessarily be a, a premeditated act but we still break God's law uh, transgressions stepping across the line you know breaching a known law all of these are ways that we break God's law so sin isn't just something which uh, is around the edges of my life the Bible teaches it permeates every aspect of who I am and so whenever you and I read this answer Jesus gave to this Pharisee if we are conscientious and, and true in our desire to live up to God's standard, if we genuinely want to be sure of acceptance with God, to be sure of eternal life of a home in heaven, this answer should drive us to despair. Drive us to despair at our inability to live up to it because it is humanly impossible. But I want you to hear me this morning. You know, unless and until we are driven to despair of our own ability, we can never meet the demands of God's law. You see, our keeping of the law and living by a set of rules is not the means by which we can merit acceptance with God. The Bible says in Romans 3 and 20, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes a knowledge of sin. In other words, rather, the, the law is a mirror. It shows us God's perfection. It shows us his righteousness, the Bible calls it. And by contrast, it reveals my utter helplessness to live up to it. And I believe that so that we may understand the grace of God in sending Jesus. And that's the second point I want to make. This uh, command that Jesus makes here, it points to the grace of God in sending Jesus. Grace means God giving us something which we don't deserve. And the rest of this week, uh, following this discussion with the Pharisee, God's great rescue plan for rebels came into fruition, came to fruition. Just like Jesus had told his disciples, you can read it uh, three times actually, he told them uh, through the book of Matthew. And this incoming week after this uh, discourse we read this morning, Jesus would willingly hand himself over, give himself over to the, the religious leaders. He'd be condemned to die a criminal's death 
and trumped up charges. He was mocked and flogged and, and beaten. He was crucified and nailed to a cross and he would hang there in agony. Why did he do that? Because he was powerless to do anything about it? Is that why he done it? Absolutely not. The Bible says he could have called tens of thousands of angels in an instant to set him free. So why did he do it then? Well, as I said, to fulfill the rescue plan in accordance with his Father's will. You see, as a sinless son of God, he paid the penalty, he cancelled the debt for my law-breaking. He died in my place. He satisfied the just demands of a holy God. That demand that law-breaking must be punished. He satisfied God's demand. So that if I repent of my living for myself and living my way, and trust and believe in him and ask for forgiveness, I can go free. I can have my slate wiped clean and his goodness given uh, to me. And not only did he, do, he die in my place, but on the third day he rose, confirmed his power over death, and he ascended back to heaven. And one day he's coming back for those who know and love him, not as a helpless baby this time, but as a conquering king. So Jesus perfectly fulfilled this law, which we are powerless to keep. You know, if you profess to know him and love him this morning, could I encourage you to thank him for his grace in sending Jesus? You know, there is so much focus nowadays in Christian circles in all that Christ can do for us and how he can help us day by day as we live. And he does, and that is great. But you know, we must never forget the fundamental truth that your situation and my situation in terms of ever being accepted by God, was hopeless without Jesus. Our reality, you see, is that our hearts and our souls and our minds give more evidence of selfishness and indifference rather than love for God. This Pharisee couldn't keep the law perfectly, and neither can you and neither can I. So this expert in the law, who doubtless knew the law inside out. You know, sadly, he actually missed the one who, to whom the Old Testament, the law, was pointing. The Old Testament and the law was pointing forward towards the Messiah who would come. And here Jesus was standing right in front of him. And he missed him. He missed it. You know, had he fully loved God with all of his heart, He'd have recognized who Jesus was and loved him. Instead, he rejected Jesus and tried to trap him with a question. Commentator David Platt said, This lawyer was deceived, and though his head was full, his heart was cold. I wonder, is there someone listening to me this morning, and you're trying to live a good life, live by a set of rules, and that's admirable in one way, you know, if like this Pharisee, you're hoping that it will somehow gain you acceptance with God and security of a home in heaven, that is not what the Bible teaches. Acceptance by God is not through any good deeds that you do, but it's through accepting as a free gift what Jesus has already done for you. Speaking to the new believers in Ephesus, Paul says in Ephesians 2, and Pastor David had looked at it a few weeks ago, he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, 
so that no one may boast. If you don't know him this morning, you need to ask God for forgiveness. Put your trust in Jesus. Hand your life over to him, saying, you know, I've lived my life my way. Sorry for rebelling against you. I've tried it my way. Here's my life. Come, forgive me and change me from the inside out and come and live in me by your Holy Spirit. And it's only whenever your relationship with God is restored like that and you are at peace with him through Christ that you can then ever really love him. J.C. Ryle said, they love most who feel most forgiven. They love most who feel most forgiven. The third point I want to make as a finish is we love because he first loved us. You know, as you think about Jesus' command here, on the surface it seems somewhat unusual to be commanded to love, doesn't it? You know, how can someone command love? But you know, remember, this loving is, is only possible for those whose relationship with God has been restored, as I've just said. 1 John 4 and 19 says, speaking of those who are forgiven, those who have been saved, John says, we love because he first loved us. In other words, it was God who initiated the relationship. He loved us. We are merely respondents to his love. And now as his children, now adopted into his family, he is our loving heavenly father. And loving God now in relationship with him, it's not a chore or a burden. It's a delight. You know, we congratulated Danielle and Michael on their engagement this morning at the risk of embarrassing Danielle, and she's probably read already. Um, I'm pretty sure Michael didn't have to say, you know, now Danielle, you're not going to like this, but you're going to have to love me. No, Danielle's love is in response to the love that Michael has already shown to her. You know, in an infinitely deeper way, our love for God is in response to his love for us that he initiated. So what should this love look like? What should it look like to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind? There's so much here. There could be another sermon here, so, but I'm just going to make it very briefly. What should this love look like? It should be a sacrificial, all that you are and all that you have kind of love. Writing to the Romans, Paul says in chapter 12, and I paraphrase, in the light of all that Christ has done for you, the very least that you can do is present your whole life, your body in sacrificial worship and service to him, to give him your all. You know, that is a huge challenge for each of us who know and love him. To love the Lord your God with all your heart means that your life centers and revolves around him. Not your business, not your farm, not your career, not even your family. It means he is at the forefront of all that you think and do. You treasure him above all else. Loving God with all your soul means there should be a passion on your part for God. No, it doesn't mean that we should ever let emotion and experience override Bible truth. Absolutely not. But neither does it mean that we should place so much emphasis on, on our intellectual grasp of truth that our worship of God is sterile. There is a proper passion that we should have for God and we should express it. Loving him with all of our heart, loving him with all of our soul, 
and loving him with all of our mind. Loving him with all of our mind means that we make it our goal to know him and understand him. It means we take time to read and study and meditate on the Bible, to understand more about God's character, to understand how he communicated and how he intervened in the lives of men and women in the Bible. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. It's a huge challenge. I wonder how your love for God has been in lockdown. Was it intense at the start whenever there was the fear of the virus and then as the fear abated a wee bit, did the love and the attention for God dwindle as well? I wonder if you've been drifting during lockdown. How does the zeal and enthusiasm that you have for God today compare to you had when you first came to know him? Do you remember the desire that you had to read God's word and to pray? Do you remember what it was like back then when you first could see it? Do you remember the joy that you had? Driving along in the car and the Christian music playing and you were belting it out and you didn't care who heard it. Do you remember what it was like? Was your love more then? Or is it more now? Maybe you've listened this morning and you've been drifting for a very long time. Long before lockdown. This morning you just know that you're not where you should be with God. Oh, he's not speaking words of condemnation to you this morning. He's saying, I want your heart. I want your heart. I love you. I gave the very best I had for you. I want your heart. Has your love grown cold? Have you left the love that you had at first? You know, if you have, Jesus wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus about that very issue. Here's what he said to them in Revelation 5. He said three things. He says, remember where you've fallen from. Repent. And do the works that you had at first. Remember where you've fallen from. Repent. And do the works you have at first. You know first and foremost. God wants our love. He wants your heart. Everything else flows from that. Obedience will flow from that. But first and foremost. He wants your heart. And that love for God will impact others around us. That's the second commandment that we haven't time to look at this morning. But Leon Morris said about this, he says, this wholehearted love for God means coming in some measure to see other people as God sees them. Coming in some measure to see other people as God sees them. How did Jesus see other people? You don't have to look very far from this passage we're in this morning. Just a few verses later, verses, verse 37 of chapter 23, it says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as the hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you would not come. Does our love for God overflow into our love for other people? You know, does it impact us that many of our friends and family and neighbors 
They're trying to earn their way to heaven by good deeds. Sincere people. Trying to earn their way to heaven by good deeds and rule keeping. Does it bother us enough to lovingly tell them, you know, that that is humanly impossible to earn your way to heaven? Do we love them enough to explain the amazing grace of God in sending Jesus to pay the debt for us? We couldn't keep the law, but he perfectly fulfilled it. God just wants our heart this morning. May God grant each one of us the grace to respond to his promptings this morning. Maybe you respond quietly in your own heart as you listen to the words of this final video. It says, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, greatest treasure of my longing soul. Let's just watch the video together.
Let's pray as we finish. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, gracious Savior of my ruined life, my guilt and cross laid on your shoulders. In my place you suffered, bled, and died. You rose, the grave and death are conquered. You broke my bonds of sin and shame. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, may all my days bring glory to your name. Lord, we, that is the prayer of our heart, that we bring glory to your name as we seek to honor you and out of a heart of love to return that love to you and to love you with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. Lord, we just pray that you would use your word uh, to glorify your name. Be with us in the rest of this day, Lord, as we travel or whatever we're doing. And Lord, that we may have a time of fellowship with you and a time of uh, just relaxation with family. But Lord, that we would reflect on you and who you are and what you mean to us uh, in this day that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.